Episode of Sean Eds do baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we're bringing you baseball history. That's right, on our bi weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be on the mound throwing them. That's right. Curveball, slider, screwball, change up. You missed my sign. Exactly. <laughs> Now, I got your sign. I got your sign. This is right, right, right down the middle. You just, you, you don't like me very much. You're trying to cross me up. I absolutely love to fuck with catchers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't know. Follow us on Twitter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> at doing baseball. Follow us on Twitter at doing baseball and on Instagram at doing dot baseball. Uh, we're going to do some TikTok stuff. Maybe we've done it by now. Who knows? Yeah, maybe by the time you're hearing this, we have. Yeah, but either way, uh, thanks for listening. And wherever you're listening, please, please give us a review. Give us a rating. Tell your friends. Tell us what you think. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for listening again. Yeah. And another big thanks goes out to Two Loons Brewing. Uh, you can find them at... TwoLoonsBrewing.com. They have their fantastic IPA available at the LCBO in Ontario. Uh, they're at some local bars and stuff. I was at Barvolo the other day. They had a Cascale on there. Ooh, uh, sounds sounds intriguing. Yeah, really great stuff. So uh, look uh, for Two Loons out there. Great great people doing uh, just some some great work in the brewing industry, and and we really appreciate their support. And of course, be of legal drinking age, and please enjoy responsibly. Always, yes. Always. Okay, are you ready to tell a story now, Sean? I am. We've done all the stuff we need to do. I think. I think we have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then <laughs> well, I'm let's gonna, go. I'm going to start with 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 three words, and you're going to figure out where we're going pretty quickly here. I am. I would guess. All right. As I say, it's a big subject, and there might be a part two to this, but it's not a back-to-back kind of part two. Okay. Jeffrey Harold Loria oh, was born <laughs> November 20th, 1940. Okay. <laughs> uh, day which will live in infamy. <laughs> well, yeah, so November 20th, 1940, the Loria family uh, was a Jewish, hardworking family, lived in Manhattan, uh, his mother was named Ruth, and his father was a lawyer named Walter J. Loria. Mm-hmm. So from an early age, Loria was interested in baseball and cheered for the Yankees as a boy. He played ball a lot growing up and was an all-city second baseman in high school. All right. Which, of course, was a prep school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, on Obviously. On brand. Um Playing baseball professionally, though, was not in the cards for Loria, who instead excelled in the classroom, first at Stuyvesant High School, a public prep school, as I mentioned, and from there he went on to Yale University, where he studied to be pre-med. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But, he takes a little bit of a left turn here, and he takes an elective class in art history, which captures his attention Hmm. so he was going to be a doctor 
No, he wants to study famous paintings and whatnot. Well, he just likes it. He's like, oh, I like art. I think I like art. Okay. Why not? Um, so by accident or not, Loria would go on making millions working as an art dealer, but got his start after college working for Sears and Vincent Price. <laughs> Sears and Vincent Price. Yes. At the same time? At the exact same oh, time. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, he's a uh, graduate. I'm going to assume he didn't do the same job for <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go fold the khakis. <laughs> so, Vincent Price uh, and Sears uh, were curating Sears' new art collection in 1962. Okay. I and follow you now. So, the department store gave Price carte blanche to do so, and he hired a whole bunch of people to just go find art around the world. Oh, okay. And Loria was one of those people. <laughs> Lucky Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty fucking good gig. Yeah. Vincent Price is like, hello. <laughs> Can you travel there's to some, Milan? Some spooky man on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thriller guy's calling. <laughs> we can... I assume uh, this was before the thriller. Uh, I think this is 1962. I think okay, this is yeah, my, I don't yeah. think Michael Jackson's born yet. He's born. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> we'll look that up. <laughs> okay. So, um, so he got to travel around America and Europe, uh, making connections with galleries and getting commissions from well-known artists, including the likes of Salvador Dali. Cool. Yeah, all for Sears and <laughs> Vincent Price. Yeah. All right. So Loria was like, fuck yeah, I love art now. Yeah. Um, so he dove headfirst into the art world. And a few years later, in 1965, at the age of 24, Loria opened his private art dealings business, Jeffrey H. Loria & Co., on Manhattan's Upper East Side. All he right. also wrote a book, uh, which was entitled... Collecting original art. <laughs> so, dude is like twenty four. Like, I wrote the title. I wrote the book on collecting <laughs> art, <laughs> which is very on brand for Jeffrey Laurie at yeah. this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's also like he's also Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey. It's not Jeffrey. Trying to spice it up, dirt. Jeffrey. <laughs> Joe Dirte. <laughs> Jeffrey Laurie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so he starts this, this art dealing business, uh, but he's also going back to school and he's, he's at business school in New York. And, uh, most importantly though, um, uh, Jeffrey Loria hated fucking hippies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the reason most I, importantly, well, the reason I know this is because of the book he wrote about Charlie Brown. Like the cartoon Charlie Brown? Yes. Charles Schultz, Charlie Brown. Okay. So. You're piquing my interest now. Gloria graduated. I'm very confused by what's happening. <laughs> Trust me, it gets so much worse. <laughs> I don't know if it's better or worse. <laughs> oh, dear. So, Gloria, um, he, he, he graduates from Columbia Business School in 1968. And think New York, 1968. Columbia, 1968. Uh, uh, he published a book called What's It All About, Charlie Brown? 
<laughs> that sounds like copyright infringement. Well, it, it's like kind of a pseudo business philosophy book using the Peanuts characters. Okay. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it actually had the cartoons in there. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Okay. No, and he would write. He would like you would view the car, and then he'd write like a uh, a uh, 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 oh, okay. essay on you. what you had just seen. Right, right. You know, okay. so he, he had a co-writer uh, with him, Pat Kate Lynch, who can I, I could only expect also was just a fucking hippie basher and just, <laughs> you know, had some notches on the belt from like, <laughs> you know, stamping burnouts. <laughs> so, <Okay>. and, <laughs> so, um, so <laughs> this is apparently what Laurie, Laurie got from the Peanuts comic strip. <laughs> it was also just a way for him and Lynch to bash hippies and commies. So he's in his late twenties and here are some of his wild takes from, from Charlie Brown. And now I am directly. I've, I've never considered the peanuts to be a political cartoon. <laughs> yep. So I'm directly <laughs> quoting from, from the book now. Um, Few children today take the time to talk with their grandparents. They're too busy applying body paint and reading about England's current singing rages. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's a regular weekend for most people. <laughs> Just body painting and reading about England's current singing yeah. singing rages. Yeah. Singing rages. Yeah. Um, it gets much, much worse. So... Uh, the little folks will gladly hunt for Easter eggs. Easter wasn't meant to be a 10-day excursion into the psychedelic. It seems that some easier trip-takers need marijuana and sugar cubes to loosen them up for a little fun or to activate their imaginations. Not the hearty Peanuts crew. What? <laughs> what point's he trying to make? They don't need drugs to have fun, man. They're the cartoons gonna... don't. <laughs> the cartoons don't. They're just wholesome. They're celebrating Jesus' life by, like, looking for, for Easter eggs and shit like that. Well, the burnouts all just need to do LSD to have any kind of fun. Nah. And the peanuts they... are explicitly saying this? Oh, clearly. Clearly, this is what you get if you read. It's like peanuts. on the lines of like Manson being like, <laughs> being like the Beatles are telling me to murder everyone in Helter Skelter. This yeah. is a weird we start of fucking. The war is coming. I heard it. I heard it on the White Album. This is more of like an and Rand, like like no, like because I have my favorite quote from the book coming up, <laughs> okay. which is gonna really, really just dig into you how fucking square and capitalistic Loria was from a young, young age. Okay. So, I quote, Although the kids enjoy disputing amongst themselves, they won't buck big business or its methods. It wouldn't be realistic. Who wants to reject our society as materialistic, militaristic, and capitalistic? Big business is here to stay, and Peanuts knows it and accepts it. He's like, he's just clearly looking for whatever he wants to find in the peanuts. Absolutely, and then writing it down. Absolutely. I mean, like, look at this cartoon. I like the, this cartoon. The cartoon that was referencing was just them like mentioning a computer. <laughs> okay. Remember, this is the '60s. Yeah. He's just like clearly the peanuts have accepted our corporate overlords. 
I saw Logan's run. Who wants to dismiss That's our the eighties? Who wants to dismiss our our society as militaristic in nineteen sixty nine? What could we be doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh god so yeah yeah so apparently the corporate free market war-torn house trape charlie limus and patty taught him to reject served loria well <laughs> or taught him not to reject sorry yeah <laughs> served loria well so uh his his art business boomed and soon loria's collection would feature mainly 20th century artists with his collection including works by Pablo Picasso and Henry Moore. Loria made a fortune, and his focus soon turned back to baseball. Okay. All right. Oh, it's not good. So, uh, obviously we're getting to the Expos. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going with this. But Loria, the Expos weren't his first baseball team. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No. First major league team? Yes, absolutely his first major okay. league team. But first, Loria bought the AAA team in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City 89ers, in the year 1989. Huh. Yep. It did they change their name at that point? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're the 1990ers now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the 89ers uh, were the Texas Rangers AAA affiliate, but Laureate didn't care if it was a major league team or a minor league team. He was a fucking baseball club owner, and he <laughs> was going to be that guy. And let me tell you what the peanuts have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Calling the coach. I was reading peanuts. They say the bunt. There's a lot of Charlie Brown baseball comics. Yeah, there. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's it's there. It, there's so much stuff. So, I mean, some of those quote. Obviously, those quotes were directly from the book. But there's a whole Deadspin article where a writer discovers this book and is just mind fucked <laughs> just <laughs> by what he's reading and who it's by. Um, so I highly recommend that. So so he, he he Gloria though he owns a team. He doesn't care miners whatever. He's like I love it. I'm following every minute of it. He had a special phone line put in so he could listen to games whether he was in paris or milan or his apartment in new york um wow yeah yeah he would even call the gm and have him relay action on the field <laughs> he's like yeah bill <laughs> what's going on <laughs> it's jeffrey <laughs> talk to me as if you're linus <laughs> <laughs> tell me what's going on was it a strong throw? Weak throw? This is like, like micromanaging oh, yeah. to the extreme. Yes. So even still, Loria wanted more. And in 1990, an opportunity arose to buy a minority stake in the Montreal Expos. So Charles Bronfman was selling the team, and a group of investors headed by Claude Brochot uh, were looking for people to put money in. Mm -hmm. um, so Brochot and Jacques Menard uh, met with Loria and talks would break off as it became clear that Loria had little interest of owning a minority stake and would only settle for controlling partner in the ownership group. All right. So he's, he's like... Setting, setting his bar high. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't mind having other owners, but he's like, no, I'm in charge. Yeah. I'm, I'm in be, charge. I want to be the boss. Yeah. So that doesn't wah, work. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Shut up. 
someone's chunk <laughs> So Seattle, some peanuts. I can't do it as good as you. <laughs> Laurie loved his Oklahoma City 89ers, uh, but they weren't an MLB team. Team won the league in 1992. I only consider you scum compared to MLB team. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so in Loria fashion, the team wins the championship, and then he immediately sells them. Okay. <laughs> eh, whatever. Yeah. So he's in search of a grander prize, an MLB team. Mm-hmm. And he goes after one, the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's- Changed his sights a bit. Yeah. So he ends up losing to Peter Angelos in 1994, but he was all in on them, apparently. Um, and he'd have to wait five more years for his dream to become an MLB owner to come to fruition. So, okay. 1994. We're going to switch over to the Expos. It's right. not, not good. It's well, not a good time in history. No, no. Well, We're I mean, not a good memory. 94 was... Great up until August. Yes. Uh, I mean. But that really went downhill. So, in the five years leading up to Jeffrey Loria buying the Montreal Expos, or buying controlling stake in the Montreal Expos, I should say, um, the team was leading the league before the strike in August of 1994, and the following March, or not March, but the following spring was uh, stripped down to the bolts as the Canadian dollar declined and the stadium began to fall apart. And none of their investors were willing to invest any more money into the team. So eventually, after a decade, uh, after last talking to him, the Montreal Expo's ownership circled back to Jeffrey Loria. Okay, so they're approaching him now. Yeah, they're like, hey! Hey, remember how you wanted to buy a team? Yeah, and this is kind of important, really, in the end of this. We'll try to remember to circle back to this. Um... But yeah, they're like, hey, maybe you can do that now. <laughs> yeah. So on December 9th, 1999, Jeffrey Loria bought a 24% stake in the team for $12 million and became chairman, CEO, and manager, managing general partner of the Expos. That is unfathomable. Yeah. $12 million for 24%? That means the franchise is worth like $50 million. Yeah. That's... Peanuts. It's two dudes. It's two really good dudes. Yep. <laughs> and it's only 24 years later. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. So, Loria declared to the baseball press, no more business as usual. Which, in Loria, basically meant, like, the last five years were fucked up. You know, there's a new ownership. Mm-hmm. So... It was kind of. At this point. No, but at this point, like, it's what Expos fans want to hear, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so then he immediately hires his ex wife's son, so his ex stepson, David Sampson, who was 31 and had zero baseball experience. Said, I want to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he he has so his ex stepson is uh, now executive vice president of the team. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No baseball experience. Just worked in banking. Yeah. Whatever. We've <laughs> seen that before. Um, so then the, uh, but the expos like sprang to life. I mean, they became very active. 
in what would turn out to be a terribly ineffective off-season for them. <laughs> okay. So, obviously, this is at Loria's directive. Yeah, that's right. Get mad. No, not, not that mad. He signed Graham Lloyd, traded Brad Fulmer for Lee Stevens, and to top it off, gave a couple of future MLB arms away in Ted, Willie, Ted Lilly and Jake Westbrook for Hideki Rabu. All right. So it's more so, so so making a lot of waves, but I guess as you said, it's it's not going to turn out to yeah. do anything. This was around when they lost Martinez, wasn't it? Oh yeah, no, he. I think they lost him after uh, like early, a couple like, years like earlier, ninety seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay. that's the thing is we're we're gonna get to it. Like Luria was not, you know, he didn't trade away all the greats. Yeah, um, he really had very little in in the the. You know, either way, we'll get to it, but we'll circle back to those that uh, that off season in a minute. Yeah. Because um, Luria is all piss and vinegar at spring training in two thousand. So he says to the press uh, at spring training, "I'm obviously a very competitive person with a passion for the game. I'd be lying if I said I'm not gonna not going to be involved." I won't micromanage, but I definitely think I can bring an energy and a focus by showing the players I care a lot. This is a good young team. Hopefully it will be able to challenge for a wild card. Which was insane, considering they were coming off like a 66-67 win season. Mm -hmm. He's got high hopes. But he said he didn't want to micromanage. Oh, he definitely might. It's (laughs) my next sentence. the point. (laughs) The the fact that he was saying, I don't like to micromanage. It kind of lends to the fact that you probably do. Yeah. Well, and... Yeah, he he does. He does, but you'll see his tenure does not actually last that long. But here's the first thing he had to manage as the new owner of the Expos. They did not have an English TV deal. So, okay. They really? had nobody paying to broadcast their games in English. Mm-hmm. So as chairman, he set out to make the club more money, which is obviously something the Expos needed since they came crawling back to him yeah. uh, by meeting with the local and national broadcasters to discuss media deals. Uh, other teams, of course, were making lots of money off of this, and the Blue Jays were rumored to be getting about $200,000 per game. Mm. Yeah. TSN offered him $5,000 a game. Okay. So they were like, fuck this. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. It's kind of rightfully so. Um, but also remember, there's no Sportsnet back then, too, right? Like, I don't think there was. Uh, mm. There's You're limited in your cable channels that will... I think Sportsnet started in 98. Okay, well, we, uh, we're not going to discuss that here. <laughs> Either way, it, it didn't work CTV out. CTV back then, though. Well, TSN offered them 5000 per game. Okay. Didn't work out. Right. So on the radio side of things, Loria discovered that the local English radio broadcast in Montreal, CJAD, wasn't paying them anything at all for the games that they were broadcasting. Really? They were just doing it? <laughs> yeah. They were so cool. What do you mean? Of course, we broadcast and people listen. It's great. Everybody has a good time. <laughs> you know that thing that we say at the end of <laughs> the end of every game? That means something. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. So he's like, no, that stops. Um, yeah. And he went in search of a better deal. The best offer he got was 1K per game by Team 990 in Montreal. So. All right. That's, so that's, they're having a hard time selling yeah. the, 
the radio rates. And this is year 2000, basically, right? Like, yeah. Guys, payrolls are not huge, as we'll get to, but they're not nothing either. No. Right? So, uh, yeah, if you're making $200,000 in broadcast rights a game, you're making millions of dollars. If you're getting 1000 a game, you're getting like $162,000 <laughs> yeah. yeah, a year. <laughs> it's not even no. close. So he turns them down. He just turns it all down. So the Expos are no longer broadcast in English anywhere. On TV or radio. Yeah. But you could find it on the internet. Okay. <laughs> in this the year, is like kind of the infancy of the internet. This is the year 2000. Yeah. 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 So nobody had the internet. Well, not nobody, but nobody used the internet like we use it today. Yeah, you could streaming was like not not a thing. <laughs> I'm going to watch a baseball game. It's going to be very slow and we can't call anybody for hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or call us. Yeah. Or have anyone call us. Yeah, we are untouchable. <laughs> um, so Samson uh, would say he initially hoped that if the experts at that if the expos got off to a hot hot start, local broadcasters would initiate new negotiations, and they did. Well, the expos got off to a hot start, but nobody ever <laughs> negotiated. Nobody was like, "Hey, can we put the games on?" So imagine you're an expos fan, and this new guy comes in. And you are an anglophone, and all of a sudden you can't watch the games yeah. in English anymore. You'd be pretty pissed. Yeah. So it's yeah. a tumultuous... Bring back the bootleggers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a tumultuous start on the broadcast side of things. And, and Loria told the New York Times in December everything Expos fans wanted to hear. So he's still trying to say, like, be really like... Uh. So he says... Uh, by establishing stability, commencing a new marketing program, and bringing a winning attitude and winning players, we can build a franchise where it wa- back to where it was in the 80s and early 90s. Um, and I really believe that he was like, yeah, he wanted to do this. Yeah. Right. He didn't, you know, he wanted to. He didn't want to spend a ton of money doing it, but he, he wanted yeah. to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, he's... He, at- like you say, at, at his core, he's a diehard baseball fan. Yeah. Um, he's a cheap, rich guy. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he in his gallery on East 72nd Street in New York City, <laughs> he featured millions upon millions of dollars worth of art. And Loria would point to a cardboard cutout of Lad Guerrero Sr. and say it was his most valuable piece in the gallery. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, it's a little bit creepy and yeah. like owner, you know, esque. But yeah. yeah, but he loves the he. I think he really was yeah. proud that he's finally in the, the yeah. ownership club and didn't want to. He wanted to win, right? Um, he invested in the clubhouse, uh, having it renovated with an Art Deco lighting, of course. <laughs> <laughs> New carpets and three large screen TVs installed. Where they couldn't watch themselves in English. Those were probably huge oh, back yeah. then. Oh, yeah. They were like $5,000 each. We got three TV rooms. <laughs> Half got... the room's TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Loria wanted to turn the team around fast, but the biggest issue was the Expos were built on player development in the 80s and 90s and back in their heyday. Yeah. And Luria didn't have that kind of time or patience. So okay. he chose to spend money, something unheard of since before the 1994 strike. 
Mm-hmm. It did not go well, as we talked about. So a Rabu, who they gave up Ted Lilly and Westbrook for, who both had not great but decent careers. Um, a Rabu, well, Lilly did. Anyways, Rabu would put up an ERA over seven in 11 starts Ooh. for the Expos in the year 2000. Graham Lloyd would miss the whole season and actually had, I think I read somewhere that it was like, he like suffered a freak injury and like lost family members and like had like a plane crash. Like it was fucked up. We might do a story yeah, on it one day. I was going to say it. It sounds like a story. Yeah. Uh, Lee Stevens would be average, uh, but Fulmer, Brad Fulmer would also break out uh, the next year. So mm-hmm. Stevens was always good, but he was never like, 2000s first baseman good yeah like you look back at his numbers and you're like that looks pretty decent and then you look at his ops yeah, plus and it's like 101 and you're like oh yeah comparable to how everyone else was at that time yeah so the expo's payroll had nearly doubled to 33 million from 17 million in 1999 <laughs> but the, it's in, just insane yeah but in 2000 the results were the Pretty much the exact same. The Expos went 67 and 95, losing one more game than 1999, and any hopes Expos fans had gotten from, Aloria, from Loria acquiring the team was diminishing quickly. People were upset, the moves did not pay off, and despite the local TV radio being mostly to blame, many fans blamed Loria for inaccessibility to watch and hear games. Mm-hmm. That'd be very disappointing. That was, that was a sounds a lot like how we probably felt after 2013 with the Blue Jays. Yeah. They went and had a huge spending in the offseason, made a bunch of trades, and then they just... Well, it brought it brought people won hope. Seventy games. Yeah, it brought people hope, and they just had a garbage year. Like it just didn't work out. Yeah. So in June of that year, the Globe and Mail wrote. Now that he's been vilified by Montreal media and scorned by its fans, the question facing those who want to see baseball stay in the city is how New York art dealer Jeffrey Eloria can possibly make the Montreal Expos work in a poisonous environment. So it's a good kind of point of just like, okay, this guy's if this guy's coming in and being true, like it's shit's already fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's not good. And to make matters worse, and I'm going to say that a lot here over the next few paragraphs, the press reported some partners, the minority partners, felt that the team would move within a few years based on the current economics of the situation. All right. So So, it's it's blood in the water already. Well, any trust he had gained is, like, hollowed out by, like, halfway through the season. Yeah. Expos fans are like, we got a new owner. He's going to spend money. We might actually go for the wild card. Oh, it's a tire fire. Yeah. And we're just going to move it? Like, I can't listen to it on the radio Mm -hmm. station anymore? Like, it's it's all bad. It's not good. Um, Like, what a a silly thing to not have sorted out. You think you would want to bring it to as many people as possible. Well, Especially that, when it's struggling. Well, and he's he's very. I mean, he, obviously nobody's willing to pay for it, yeah, which is I guess like so. fucked up. But at the same point, you know, you know what's worse, making zero or one hundred and eighty thousand yeah. or one hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars. Yeah. So at this point, already in his inaugural season, um, uh, he uh, Loria felt the need to have security guards with him when he'd go and watch baseball games at the. Uh, wow. 
<laughs> Ooh, I mean, Habs good. fans are crazy, so yeah. I can only... <laughs> yeah. So the season was an utter failure. And once in charge, Laurier had discovered that he'd actually been sold a lot of fluff. Like, a lot of this shit is not his blame. And this is why we feel weird carrying water for him here. But, like, the, the whole <laughs> broadcasting shit... That's clearly on the last owner just as much as it's on him. Yeah. Uh, and then he discovers that, like, oh, this new ballpark that we desperately need, that they were like, oh, yeah, it's in the works. Like, we're, we're doing it. It's, it's really not. It's just non-existent. Yeah, well, they desperately need a new ballpark. And, and Loria is, does, probably does not have or, or definitely is does not care to invest enough money for a whole new ballpark. Yeah. And he's been told essentially like, oh no, like we got all these people and like local business and, and governments like coming in and they're going to, they're going to help out. Right. And Loria kind of discovers this. That's not really the case. Yeah. So fuck. Did you ever go to Olympic stadium? No. Okay. I went there once in like 95, 96, something like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was pretty garbage. It was just okay. It was just okay. I was like seven. Com- compare, so. com- well, yeah, I guess it's years different, twenty years difference, but comparable to Oakland. Coliseum. Yeah, imagine imagine if Oakland had like a shitty roof. Yeah, shitty half roof. Yeah, and was like slightly worse. Okay, it was like it's like it was like a it was like playing baseball on a sad roller rink. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sad roller rink. I don't know. That's the vibe I got. Like a, a, a shitty bowling alley <laughs> in yeah, Montreal. It's probably a little newer, too, oddly. Yeah. Um, so, Olympic Stadium was a piece of shit. Falling into disrepair. So just, it was a piece of shit. <laughs> shut up. Loria <laughs> so, had been clear right from the start that the Expos needed a new stadium. Loria addressed the situation at the Big O in his inaugural news conference, saying the team cannot and will not stay there. So, so Samson and Loria claimed that they were told the financing for the new stadium with the provincial government and local government was pretty much complete. But when Loria took over, that was far from the case. Uh, Loria began seeking investment for a new home for the Expos, and said, fuck the old plans, I'm designing my own stadium. <laughs> so, I mean, he really doesn't design his own Is that stadium. Is a direct quote? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he, they had this Labatt Park idea going for a while. Okay. Uh, and, and he's like, oh, I'm going to take this and I'm going to make this mine. Mm-hmm. So he redesigns Labatt Park for the, the prospective investors. Okay. Um, and... He removes the retro classic look, Ella like Camden Yards and shit like that, and in favor of a more like modern, like artsy design more with Art deco. Yeah, curved contours and glass. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> so both the architecture company Loria had hired and Major League Baseball said they believed Loria's proposed design was structurally unsound. <laughs> <laughs> like we can't build this. <laughs> it's impossible. This is a that's floating. <laughs> Yeah, we just like we get enough fans. We get enough fans here underneath it. Just be blowing up, and it'll be floating up, and it'll be floating. It'll be like a hovercraft. We'll call it the hovercraft deck. It's a Salvador Dali fan that's never done acid because <laughs> he's too fucking square yeah. and reading Charlie Brown. <laughs> My friend's paintings. You can do it. 
Um, so to make things worse, uh, it was reported that Loria only wanted the Expos to pay $38.8 million of the $250 million price tag. And whenever negotiations with both local and provincial governments to help fund the new ballpark fell apart pretty much at that. And with that, any hope of a new stadium, pretty like much. Have you seen our roads? We don't spend any money on the roads. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be clear, like, I, once again, I don't think this is all Jeffrey Lurie's fault. Like, Lucien Bouchard is, like, pretty adamant at the time. He's like, we're not paying for shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're not doing it. Yeah, yeah. And so no matter what Lurie did, like, I, I don't think that the, the, the will was there. But then again, you know, he was also like, we need a $250 million ballpark. I got 38. Mm-hmm. Who's in? Yeah. <laughs> like, who's with me? Who's with me? And you're going to see, actually, that, that kind of works in his favor pretty soon. Um, so to make things even worse, even worse, after this whole thing, Labatt pulled its sponsorship. Oh, <laughs> saying, no. Saying, like, of the whole team. Yeah, right. Saying it being impossible to obtain assurances from the Expos with regard to certain major clauses, such as construction of a new downtown stadium, as well as a conventional television contracts, the current contract is obviously no longer pertinent. And at that point, Labatt's $2 million per year disappeared. <laughs> like, you're probably moving, so we're, we're keeping our money. Well, and they're also pissed about the television deals. Right. There's less t- people watching. Right. Like, why should we pay you $2 million of yeah. your sponsor yeah. when nobody's You're watching? You're making no efforts to get us in front of an English audience yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Plus, um, you guys suck. Yeah, and the team sucks. So they basically are being like, breach of contract, we're out. Uh, so the Expos are just lost $2 million more million yearly, yeah. right? So the Expos are in dire straits, and nobody's willing in- to invest in the Expos except Jeffrey Loria. So Loria drafts a new partnership agreement that gave him the right to call for cash investments in exchange for team equity. He recognized, probably slyly but also smartly, um, that nobody else was willing to invest in the club. And this was his way of taking even more control of the Expos, right? He bought 24% at first. So over 2000 and 2001, he invested an initial $30 million into the team. So he calls and he's just like, we need more money. And all the other minority investors are like, no, we don't need more money. And he's like, oh, I put $5 million in. And everybody else doesn't match that. He's like, okay, well, I own like five more percent. Mm -hmm. And then he keeps doing that repetitively. Yeah. And nobody matches him until he owns 93% of the Expos. (laughs) Nobody seemed to want to stop that. That seems like a high number. Well, yeah, and everybody else's stake is shrinking, right? You're right. But most people see this as like a lost investment at this point. The Expos were such a shitty situation, and especially with Loria coming in, everyone's like, oh, maybe it's good, and then they're like, no, no, it sucks. Uh, Who cares? (laughs) Um, We're definitely not putting any money in, and Jeffrey's like, that's cool. I'll just put my money in and and Mm -hmm. buy more of your shares. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, whatever. 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 so he owns 93% of the team now. Nine of the minority owners would invest money into the team. And in Loria's defense, nobody was willing to invest in the team. So <laughs> Yeah, what else is he going to do? Yeah, he put his money where his mouth was. They did not. So instead of investing in the team or building a bigger partnership, though, the minority owner's reaction to his cash calls was to suggest Loria take his money and quit. 
<laughs> like, you want to put money into this? You just fucking just. We'll give you your money back yeah. to leave. <laughs> Why don't you just let us be cheap, Jeffrey? Yeah, we so, got in this business to be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> just here, we'll give you a couple extra million. Just fuck off. Yeah. Uh, so, in a you gotta th- spend money to save money, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> so in 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 one case during one cash call uh his fellow minority owners uh suggested that he trade Vlad Guerrero instead of putting up more money. All right. <laughs> general managers now. Well, <laughs> at this point Jeffrey Laurie is pretty much the general manager. Yeah. I think he even is the general. Like I don't even fuck I should have looked that up, but whatever. Laurie is basically pulling all the shots. And Laurie is like, no, I'm not trading Vlad. Have yeah. you been to my gallery in yeah. New York? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my most prized possession. Yeah. It's cut out. And Vladdy was putting up MVP numbers. Just look at his two thousand one season. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but Unfortunately, it was more of the same for the Expos. They went 90, or sorry, no. <laughs> That's incorrect. 68-94. Uh, and at <sighs> this time, they didn't even have a good start to hang their hat on. In fact, after their 21-32 and 32 start, Loria relieved Felipe Alou of his managerial duties. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know who Felipe Alou is, he is probably one of the most respected managers in the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is definitely just, you know, loved dearly by Montreal. I believe he held every managerial record in Montreal at this time. And Gloria fires. He was like, see ya. Yeah. Bye, Felipe. Yeah. Uh, he's, people are pissed. He'd been coaching there for over nine seasons at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Loria said, our team has been underperforming for some time, before the season started, and many times since. I have reiterated the fact that we expect to win, and that excuses of past years will not be accepted. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all just lip service. It's just what you say. Yeah. And he hires Jeff Torborg. Good old Jeff Torborg. Oh, and he, Jeffy and, Torborg. And he, He's he talk- got the same name as me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey. No, he's a Jeffrey. Oh, yeah. He's a he's a bottom class Jeffrey. <laughs> so uh Jeff he said Loria says Jeff Torberg understands the pressure for this team to turn it around starts tonight. <laughs> so Felipe didn't though. Yeah. He so was under, like, well the pressure starts next week. Yeah, so under <laughs> under Torberg uh, the Expos go uh forty seven and sixty two to end the year. Mm. Not great. <laughs> Fucking right, man. Not great. Not great. So, uh, 68 wins this year. Uh, boo. So, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was really bad. They saw the O, big O in Montreal, saw just 642,748 fans. Ooh. So, under, under 8,000 fans per game. I was going to say. Half as many as the next worst team the Florida Marlins, <laughs> who we'll get to. <laughs> yeah. uh, shit was bleak for the Expos going into the 2001 postseason, and it only got worse. On November 6, owners voted 28-2 to in favor of contracting the league to 28 teams and removing both the Expos and Minnesota Twins. The two teams both mired in stadium problems that seemed to have no way out. Yeah. 
So Can you imagine? Yeah, I know. I'm, it's wild. So the plan called for the Expos and, I guess, the Twins to play out the 2002 season and then have their players dispersed in a draft among the other 28 teams. So luckily for Jeffrey Loria, the MLB gave him a golden parachute out of town in the shape of the Florida Marlins. <laughs> oh, fuck. So in a baffling and quite suspicious move, MLB completed a three-franchise swap with John Henry, who owned the Marlins, uh, awarded ownership of the Boston Red Sox, despite not being the top bidder, and for Jeffrey Loria to sell his stake to Major League Baseball for $120 million. Remember, he put in about 42 and a half at this point. Yeah. And then bought the Florida Marlins for $158.5 million, which you'll notice, Eds, is $38.5 million more than what he had just sold his own club for. Well, how did he get this money? How, how did he get this money, Sean? Major League Baseball gave him a... Interest-free loan of thirty-eight point five million dollars. <laughs> oh, that's that's quite convenient for Jeffrey. Yeah, what's thirty-eight point five million dollars a month for? Just pay us back whenever. Just pay us back the money. Whenever, whenever, <laughs> right? So he had turned like thirty-six million, you know, forty-two-ish million dollars at this point into one hundred twenty million with a giant loan and a new franchise that, although not great was much more stable than the Expos. Mm -hmm. John Henry owned the Red Sox like he wanted, even though he wasn't top bidder, once again suspicious. And the, I shouldn't say the, and Major League Baseball took ownership of the Expos as they were being marched to the chopping block. Yeah. (sighs) So, Loria's... So everyone made out pretty good, except for the Montreal fans. Yes! (laughs) Yes! That's exactly what happened. A hundred percent. Everyone got what they wanted, other than the Expos and their fans. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, once the MLB was controlled, it was, like, pretty clear what was going to happen. So... A Minnesota is a whole other story, but but this is basically everyone knows that the franchise is doomed at this point. The remaining minority owners were fucking pissed. What year was this again? Just 2000? after after two thousand and one. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. So this is you know early two thousand and two, if anything. Okay. Um, Mark Rodenberg, one of the minority owners, said that he was fooled and used by Loria and called him a carpetbagger, which I had to look up, which is a person perceived as an unscrupulous opportunist. So he's saying, no, Loria knew the franchise was fucked. He just came in, you know, and made it, like, flipped it, essentially, and made a whole bunch of money and left us. He didn't give a shit. Um, Steve should know. That's actually a term that's quite often used to describe Chip and Jim in Ball 4. There you go. (laughs) Call back. Yeah. Um, So, Stephen Brofman uh, also echoed the sentiment, claiming that some of the ownership uh, lobbied Bud Seelig before the end about Loria. Bronfman claims Seelig would dismiss them by saying things like, well, we don't like him either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all have similar feelings about Jeff. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're just uh, going to give him the other club. What? No, nothing. I'll t- you'll, you'll find out about that. Um, so... 
Obviously, it didn't matter in the end if Bud Selig said he liked Loria or not. The decisions made by Selig made Loria a lot richer man and gave him a more stable franchise. It seemed suspicious to the minority owners, and in July 2002, the remaining partners filed suit against Loria, Sampson, Selig, and the and Major League Baseball COO Bob Dupuy. The partners did not just file suit for their loss, but instead filed a racketeer-influenced and corrupt organization act lawsuits, otherwise known as a RICO case, commonly used to prosecute organized crime. Wow. So they're saying these guys colluded mm-hmm. to screw us out of money and, and disband this organization mm-hmm. and make a whole shitload of money doing it. Yeah, we've never seen Major League Baseball do anything <laughs> like that before 2000 yeah. and get away with it. Never, never. Um, yeah, that's what they were saying. They were like, Loria was in cahoots from the start, and mm-hmm. him and Samson worked to sabotage the club yeah. and set it up for failure and then walk away with all this money, which he knew he'd get. Yeah, if he just kept... Yeah. So kept, Jeffrey... Kept, take, kept investing and taking the team from under our nose. And Jeffrey Kessler, so a lawyer, okay. hired... Is he also Jeffrey? He's a Jeffrey. Okay. He's a Jeffrey, not okay. a Jeffrey. Okay. He's a Jeffrey. Okay. Kessler, a New York lawyer hired by the 14 companies involved. Like, there's some major... Like, Loblaws owned, like, a 1% or 2% stake. Like, a whole bunch of, like, Canadian companies hmm. are suing Jeffrey Loria here. There's 14 different partners, minority partners, that own that other 70%. Yeah. Um, they said that Loria, through a series of cash calls on the partners, misrepresented his intentions to them and defrauded them, essentially. Mm-hmm. Loria defended himself by saying, Since I became involved in 1999, I personally invested approximately $30 million in partnership and took on great responsibility for the future operating losses. While the limited partners, who had multiple opportunities to contribute, chose to stay on the sidelines and contribute nothing to build a better baseball club in Montreal. Which, which uh, he's, he's got an argument there. A strong argument yeah, there. Yeah. Like, it's weird that I'm carrying water for Jeffrey Laurie in this episode, but I do more than I'd like to say. So, uh, Kessler said that all 14 partners knew that that this was a destroyed team run by a general manager who they thought to be totally out of control. So <laughs> this he lost his mind. Yeah, we knew it was already dead. Why the fuck were you putting more money into it? So the lawsuit uh, could not in the end, reached the threshold for a RICO prosecution and eventually was kicked to an arbitration panel. Not the baseball kind, but, you know, kind of. But they ruled, in the end, in favor of Loria, C-League, and Major League Baseball. Yeah. Okay. As we we know. Well, and and I think if we were on that arbitration panel, we might have done the same thing looking at the facts presented. Yeah. Right? There's still the conspiracy. There's still the conspiracy, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you could see it, but at the same point, um, Laurie had acted like he wanted to save the Expos, and I truly think Jeffrey Laurie wanted to be successful and to own a successful franchise, but in the end, he didn't want the Expos. He just wanted a Major League Baseball club. Yeah. And maybe he just found, you know, he was smart enough to see that, oh, here's like sort of a sleeping franchise that I can just get my foot in the door here with 24%. Yeah. And then just continue to invest my art money 
Yeah. And, you know, become a controlling, yeah. Maybe. And then he you walks. Can see it. You can see the conspiracy there. And he walks away with a new shiny franchise. And a shit ton of money. And a shit ton of money. So, yeah. clearly I mean, he had. To he had turn s- it and spend it on the. Yeah. On the new franchise, but still. Well, clearly he had something to gain by this, right? Yeah. yeah. And clearly the commissioner's office, you know, they claim that, you know, the other ones. Uh, Brofman and stuff claim that, you know, Major League Baseball just was tired of the Expos at this point. They were done with it. Yeah. And they wanted any excuse. So, essentially, they sent Laurie in to buy up everything and then turn it over to the commissioner's office, which Mm -hmm. is, if you don't have proof... It's a strong allegation. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, you may think that was enough, but... Loria had one more thanks to give the Expos and the commissioner's office, who is now running the Expos. Mm-hmm. He cleared them out. Loria oh, no. had picked the carcass of the Expos clean before he left town. He took a majority of the staff from the front office. Not just that, he also took scouting reports and the computers they were written on. <laughs> oh, shit. Isn't that what, like, the... the was it the Cardinals guy or the Houston guy that got suspended? For well, that was for like hacking that? into the old team okay. system. Okay, that's a little like bit nowadays more they'd be like, we don't care that you took the computers, we live on the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. in this case, he was like, yeah, okay, just load up the trucks with everything in the offices. That's all mine. And Major League Baseball did not care because they had no intention of saving the franchise. Yeah. So Major League Baseball was like, like just showed up a month later. They're like. Where's all the computers? <laughs> took the cubicles. <laughs> he took radar guns, equipment, and of course, he took Jeff fucking Torborg, the manager. Yeah. Like, Come on, Jeff. <laughs> Get in the truck. <laughs> We're going t- to Florida. Get him tied up. Master. <laughs> I live in Montreal. I just bought a house. <laughs> <laughs> so, on his way out of town, Jeffrey Loria picked the carcass clean before it was even in the ground. <laughs> So, MLG, the (laughs) Major League Baseball would finish off the job selling off the remaining talent and everything else not nailed down tight enough uh, that Loria couldn't take it. (laughs) So, Loria was not the reason the Expos died. I mean, the optics are really not great. uh, And it's not, but it's not like he was there for the fire sale in the spring of 95 or he was the only only owner that failed to get them a new stadium, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah, he just he kind of gets the bad publicity because he became the face of the franchise, right? But Yeah. Well, and this is my 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 analogy is is he was more of like a instead of an executioner, he was more of just like a parasite that crawled inside a wounded, weak franchise and fed off of it until it died and provided him with a bigger, more fertile host. Yeah. Which he also fucking killed. Yeah. I mean, it's still alive, but... It's just yeah. it's run into the ground. Yeah. So, if we do a part two of this, it will be about Loria's time with the Marlins, which in itself is probably a story worth telling. Um, as with most owners, I think Loria always wanted to win in Montreal, but also had no idea how he would do it. It is clear he didn't have any sentiment towards the team or the city of Montreal and was just happy to be in the owner's club. In the end, the Expos did not dissolve after 2002, but moved to Washington in 2005. 
Rightly or wrongly, Jeffrey Loria is still seen as the man who let that happen. Loria probably doesn't care, though, because he turned $42 million investment into over a billion dollars in less than two decades, and maybe one day we'll talk about his time in Miami. (laughs) Wow. That's that's crazy. I didn't, I, like, as you say, he's he's very vilified in all the sort of media stories, so I I had no idea, really. I mean, I guess if I had, like, looked a little bit more into it or whatever, you could see what actually sort of happened there but yeah son he came in right at the end and was just like i'm gonna save the team i was mm-hmm. just like psych i'm leaving bye yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but i don't know like you say maybe he, he was just an opportunist that saw that opportunity there and was like i can get my foot in the door and this is my way to own a team and but pff, fucking worked out for him well and that's the thing is it's either <laughs> He's either right place, right time, and and the owner's office or the commissioner's office, you know, gave him a fucking golden parachute, mm-hmm. or he was that was the whole plan from the start. Yeah, right. That's you either believe one side or the other, and legally speaking, you know, they they believe that he there was nothing nefarious going on there, and uh, you know, at least there wasn't a, enough for a RICO trial about it. But mm-hmm. clearly, uh, a lot of people. A lot of people conspiracy. think, yeah. A lot of people think maybe there is, and as we mentioned, there's. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if Major League Baseball did something a little bit fucking shady. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, um, so yeah. Thanks for that story. Yeah, there's Jeffrey Loria and the and the Expos. I thought that was going to be a full Expos and Marlins, but I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that's one story. And yeah. This is the next one. So I'm keep this a little more focused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not going to be like a part one, part two. Maybe we'll cover it in the future, but mm-hmm. maybe we won't. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were bringing you baseball history. Please uh, give us a review wherever you're listening. Give us a follow at Doing Baseball on Twitter. I'm at Sean Do Baseball. And I'm at Eds Do Baseball. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok, whatever. Uh, give us some love. If you got a story idea, we'd love to hear it. Uh, either way, thank you so much for listening, and we'll have more baseball history coming very soon. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Um, Sean. <laughs> and I'm Ed. <laughs> we were we doing that, baseball. But... Okay, bye. <laughs> I'm like, wait. <laughs>